it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I know you're probably sick of that intro, but that's what we got to work with, so thanks for hanging in. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Justin. I'm the other one, James, and we swear we will eventually come up with a better introduction. I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> it's not like we have like a really expensive production team or anything, so I, I, I don't know how you would manage to get that unless someone feels like writing one that they think would sound a lot better, but don't waste your time if you don't feel like it. Um, so we are now nearing the end of the chapter, the last chapters of the book and whatnot, so the end of the book. Uh, we are at chapter 50, uh, Meetings at the Eye. But before we jump into this, I figured it'd be a good idea to probably jump back and do a quick recap. Um, essentially, our party had been camping out and they were moving towards the high passes. And then worms showed up after they were getting attacked by trees and monsters and all different types of things. And the worms showed up, and they're trying to outrun the worms, and then poof, they're in the green man's territory. And basically, Maureen asks the green man to take him to the eye of the world. Or to the eye, as they call it, but um, it's the eye of the world. And now he's like, all right, follow me. So that was the end of the last chapter. Quick recap. Um, so now we have the group still following the green man. And pretty much the green man's this living, breathing, walking legend. And he's something that there's stories all over the world, specifically this continent, um, that, you know, the tree of life, which is Avendasora and whatnot, and they tell him to the children, but even the adults like the story and everything. Um and it's, it's one of those really comfortable places where, you know, the green man's walking around, they're falling around, and they're just seeing so much greenery. Like, they haven't seen in so long since the weather's been acting a little weird and wonky. Um, but Perrin's kind of hiding in the back while Rand's kind of, you know, following the green man with everybody else. Um, and Perrin looks like he doesn't want to, you know, really talk to the green man because uh you know <laughs> calling him wolf brother and everything kind of made him uncomfortable but rand understands as well because he was called child of the dragon and that makes him uncomfortable and he's partially like i wonder what it means but then he's like mm, i'd rather not know so even though this is all kind of like a i don't want to have any more information than necessary he does feel a little bit more energized and, you know, he's not like feeling weighted down by the nonsense of the world that's just, you know, bothering him. But it's funny because the blight's like half a mile away. There's <laughs> like, well, nothing of the blight can enter here, so it doesn't really matter. Um, even though all that like heat and everything that was, you know, piercing his body just disappeared as soon as they went into the green man's domain so it was like hey 
And he's pretty sure that the Green Man and this entire place, that it's the realm of the Green Man, are the cause of winking it out. But it's a very restful location. Um, the two women from Emmonsfield were also feeling the peace of the location and everything. And, you know, they're enjoying all the flowers, give each other small smiles, and, you know, just smelling everything. And the Green Man, of course, notices this and is like, hey, these flowers are... You know, meant to be worn and adorned and, you know, plants and humans, it's much the same. So just the flowers don't care, just don't take very much. And he pulls a couple, like no more than two from any plant. And, you know, eventually Nynaeve and Egwene are wearing these uh, little flower child style stuff in their hair and whatnot. Where, you know, you got blossoms, pink wild rose, yellow bell, white morning star. Um, Nynaeve's braid gets a pretty good makeover. <laughs> and, uh, her braid's basically pink and white all the way down to her waist, which she's got quite the braid, so. Um, Moraine's got some pale garland of Morningstar on her forehead, and the way it's woven into her hair seems like it's still growing actively. Um... But Rand's like, mm, I don't know if they're going to be growing, but, you know, it it seems to be. Um, he's noticing a lot of strange things about this place. I'm not going to go into super detail because they're just mostly descriptions and you can read them on your own, le your own time and my own leisure. Um, but the green man, you know, finds uh, a little seed on the patch of pebbles and he puts it in the soil and whatnot and he's like hey they got to grow where they are according to what the pattern is so um and face the way that the wheel turns but hey the girl the creator doesn't mind if i you know help a little bit <laughs> it's like yeah yeah just sweep it under the rug no one notices um ran leads his horse red around the chute trying not to crush it because it didn't seem right to destroy something that the greenman had literally just done to not have to walk an extra step. Of course, Egwene, you know, notices and gives him one of the secret smiles and touches his arm. And Rand is just blown away by how pretty she is. And she's got her flowing hair, you know, unbraided hair, uh, full of flowers. And he smiles at her until she blushes and, you know, looks away. And he's thinking, like, man, no matter what happens, I will make you safe and I will protect you. And he's like really gung-ho about it. And it's just like, wow. Puppy love. It's so adorable. <laughs> but, um, so they move a little bit further in. And then they come to this area where there's like this big circle with a stone arch and everything. And it's got the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai. Um, which is the yin-yang symbol of like half black, half white teardrops. Um. And everyone just just shocked. And Nani's like, um, are we there yet? <laughs> like, is this where we're at? And Matt's like, hey, I'd like to see the Tree of Life. We, we can wait long enough to do that, right? And, you know, this is an awkward moment for Rand because the green man's looking at him like, really? <laughs> You're asking that question? And he's like, Avendasora's not here, but I haven't rested in underneath its ungentle branches in like 2,000 years 
And Moraine's like, hey, we're not here for the Tree of Life. <laughs> like, oh, oh, oh. Well, hello there, Moraine. Like, hold the phone. That's the Tree of Flippin' Life we're talking about. On priorities, people. I know, priorities. Tree of Life. <laughs> and she's like, read my lips. Saving the world. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> and she's like, hey, we're here to see the eye, and that's what we're here for. And the Green Man's like, I'm not going to go in with you. Um, I was told to guard it a long, long, long time ago, but I get really nervous when I come too close to it, and I feel like I'm being unmade or something. Like, I am linked to its demise, so if, you know, one of us goes, it's gone. Um, in terms of, like, what the outcome will be. So, if it's destroyed, he gets destroyed. If he gets destroyed, I don't know if it will destroy it, but he's tied to it in a, in a certain way that could be debated. Um, and in the first eight days of the breaking of the world, when everyone's like, yeah, we beat the dark one. And then, Oh crap. They're blowing up the world. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, uh, decided to make it men and women together and, you know, siding inside are as the true source originally was intended to be used. Like it's stronger when they're put together as opposed to individually on either side. And currently in the world, we only have one side being actively used, so it's not even being used at its greatest potential. Um, the peop the hundred people who made it, male and female, died making this by doing that. Um, and when they were dying, they charged the green man to basically guard it until um, somebody who's supposed to come get it, get it. And he's like, I'm not really made for this. But they were here, and I was all they had, so <laughs> kind of took that mantle and ran with it. Um, and he's like, I've kept the faith till it was needed, and now it's over with. And Moraine, you know, is like, you have kept the faith better than most of us who gave you the charge. Maybe it won't come as badly as you think it will. And the green man's like, well, I know an ending when it comes, I said I, and... I'll find another place to make things grow. Um, another place. But when you come out again, I will see you if there's time. Um, and he, you know, keeps moving away. And he literally, like, merges into the forest. Like, more so than land in his magical water cloak could. Like, that, that's a pretty impressive feat. And Matt's like, what, what does he mean, if there's time? <laughs> it's like, that. that is a valid question, Matt. <laughs> And I don't know if you've noticed this, James, but Matt has been asking a lot of actual valid questions lately. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Not even he still thinks he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, this is true, probably. Um. So you know, Moraine's like, "All right, let's go in," and then Land falls in, and everyone else is like, "Ah, oh, okay then." And Moraine's like, "Oh, we're going in there." So they, you know, go down these steps and whatnot. And I'll have you go ahead and pick up, good sir. When the corridor opened into a vast, domed space, the roughy living rock of its senior ceiling dotted with clumps of glowing crystals. Below it, a pool leader took up here the entire cavern, except here for the walkway around it, perhaps five paces wide. In the oval shape of an eye, the pool was here lined here around about its ear rim, with a low, flat edging of crystals that glowed with a duller, yet fiercer light than those above. 
Its surface here was as smooth as glass, as clear as the wine spring water. Rand felt as if he his Rand felt as if his eyes he could penetrate it forever. We could not see any bottom to it. The eye of the world, Rain said softly beside him. So that's a description that's worth telling because it has absolutely everything to do with why they're here. So that's a good thing for us to kind of explain what it looks like at the eye. It's not necessarily what its function is or anything, but it does give you an idea of like how it appears like, you know, glowing crystals and it's kind of a pool that takes up a cavern and, there's a little walkway and everything about five paces wide. So it, it's, it's basically an explanation to set the stage for what happens. And it's like, okay, well, we got you know all these people here. We're ready to do our thing. And they're like, hey, welcome to the eye of the world. And we get this like smooth as glass and clear as wine spring water, which means this thing is like a mirror, essentially. Like it's, it's a crystal mirror. <laughs> Um, the one thing it doesn't really mention that I wonder is if whether or not it has a reflection because he doesn't mention a reflection that I can tell, but it would be interesting if it's just crystal clear water and you could see into it, but you can't see yourself in the reflection because it doesn't necessarily say that this place has no light it's got a soft light and whatnot so if there's any form of light um which it has it says they're sure the light was no natural thing um so it's, it's not like a super overpowering light but there is light so if there's any light there should be a form of refraction or light refraction or something where it's going to reflect off the surface and everything um but who knows um so he looks around and he's you know, noticing all the crystals and, you know, how the dome was and, you know, it should have been as bright as noonday and whatnot, but it only made it late afternoon. Um, and it's just, you know, brief description of what's going on a little bit outside just the description of the eye itself. If you want to go ahead and pick it up again, sir. Okay. But what is it? Matt asked it uneasily. That doesn't look like any water I've ever saw. He kicked a lump of a dark stone the size of his ear, fist off the edge. It. The stone struck the glassy surface and slid into the pool without a splash, or so much as a ripple. As it sank, the rock began to swell, growing ever larger, larger and more attenuated, a blobby the size of his head that Rand could almost see through. Faint blur as he white as his arm was long, then it was gone. Thought his skin would creep you right off his body. What is it? He demanded, and it was he shocked at the hoarse harshness of his own voice. It might be called the essence of Sidene. Nice to die, sweet words echoed around the dome. The essence of the male half, the true source. The pure essence of the power wielded by men before the time of madness. The power to mend the seal on the Dark One's prison, or to break it open completely. The light shine on us and protect us. 
Guineve whispered. Guineve clutching her as he, if he, she wanted to hide in behind the wisdom. Even Lan stirred uneasily, though there was no surprise in his eyes. So we got this strange glassy surface and apparently if you get you know like a pebble or something into it it makes something else kind of weird but um it's i I didn't really understand it the first couple times i read this because it doesn't really make sense because it's not something you'd normally think would happen with a rock it's just like hey by the way and then you got this well i think go ahead no, I was just going to say, this all sort of le- like lends itself to kind of the creepy otherworldliness of it. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's part of nature, at least as far as the creator is concerned. Um, it's just dropping a dark stone about the size of your fist. So that's like a that's bigger than a baseball. And dropping that into a glassy surface. It's more like an oil that it like it goes into it and just you don't see anything. It just it enters and you just can't tell. Um, there's no ripples. There's nothing. It's just kind of oozed itself around it. But then this rock gets larger, and then it turns into this blob the size of his head, but that he can pretty much see through. And it gets about as wide as his arm, and then it just disappears. It's just like, none of that makes any sense. Like, you could have probably not have written that in, and you'd never know. Like, it has no actual relevance to what comes afterwards. So it's kind of a weird thing to mention. But it kind of gives you an idea, like, this seems kind of dangerous. But being that it might be considered the essence of Sidene. Now... It's a little weird that it's the essence of Saedine because it was made by men and women. So how do you only capture the essence of Saedine? Couldn't you capture the essence of Saedine and Sidar and have them be in the, the, the symbol of the Aes Sedai where it's half men or half Saedine and half Sidar, maybe obviously split by some form of uh, like however it's in the pool or whatever, have like one teardrop area be separated by another one by a thin wall or something and then just be like, this side Sidene, this side Sidar, and it makes perfect sense. But for whatever reason, it's just Sidene. And, of course, this makes Nynaeve extremely uncomfortable, and as well as Gwaine. Even Lan is upset a little bit. Like, he's not like surprised, but he's still not fond of what he's seeing um and after that happens rand has like stones smack in the back of his shoulders and it's like oh no one threw it at me i ran into it <laughs> you know as far back away as i could possibly get and here my back is against this stone wall um he's trying to push himself through the wall essentially but matt is trying to do the same thing. He's, you know, trying to get as far away from it as he can. But Perrin's staring at the pool with his axe almost drawn, and he's looking at it very fiercely. Um, and go ahead. Sorry, sorry. 
sorry to uh, break, just break the tone of it, but um, do you remember the uh, sort of Homer Hedge meme where he like saw he like fades into? Oh, the... he, yeah, he disappears in the edge. <laughs> yes, I have seen that. that. <laughs> <laughs> he sees nothing but his nose, and then poof, he disappears. Yeah, yeah. neat trick if he and Random Matt could do that, but into the stone. Yes, that they yes. have. They'd have bigger fish to fry at that point. If you want to go ahead and pick up this next part. Anyway. <clears throat> I always wondered, Boyle said uneasily, when I read about it, always he wondered what it was. Why? Why did they do it? And how? No one living knows. Rainey no longer looked at the pool. She was here watching Rand and his two friends, studying them, her eyes weighing. Neither the how, nor more of fear the why. Nay, that it would he be needed one day, and the that that he would need would he be the greatest and most he desperate the world had he faced it at that time, perhaps ever would face. Sorry. <clears throat> Many in and have attempted to find a way to use this power. But is he as untouchable for any woman as he of the moon is he for a cat? Only man could he channel it, but the last male I said die is nearly three thousand years gone. Yet the needy they saw was he a, de a desperate one. They worked it through the taint of the dark one on the Asidine to make it and make it pure, knowing that he doing so would kill them all. Male I said die and female together. Green man spoke true. The greatest of wonders of the age of legends were done in that way. Sidine and Sidar together. All the women in Tarvalin, all the Aesidai in all the courts and cities, even the those near the lands beyond the waste, even counting those who may still live beyond the Arith Ocean, could he not fill a spoon with the power, lacking in many to work with them. Rand's throat he rasped as he, he had even screaming. Why did you bring us here? Because you are Taviran. The Aesidai's face was unreadable. Her eyes shimmered and they seemed to pull at him. Because the Dark One's power will strike here, and because it must either be confronted and stopped, or the shadow will cover the world. There is no need greater than that. Let us go out and either the sea into the sunlight again. Well, there is yet time. Without waiting to see if it would follow, she started back up the corridor with Lan, who stepped here perhaps a bit more quickly than usual for him. Egwene and Nynaeve hurried behind her. So, this section specifically has probably the most outrageously crazy information in it that I personally have not heard many people comment on. I don't know if it's because people skip it or they don't think it's important. I don't know. Maybe somebody has and I just haven't got to hear them yet. So I'd be interested if you have heard somebody mention this. Please let me know. But Loyal wants to know why and how. Like, why did they do it and how did they do it? Well, we get kind of an answer on how, but not like the specifics. It's more of a generalization. Um... 
why they did it, we also get kind of a generalization and not very much of the specifics. Um, it's an interesting and strange thing. That's like a weird concept. Um, Moray's like, well, nobody knows, you know, the how or the why, other than it's going to be needed at some point. Um, and it's going to be the greatest, most desperate need that the world has faced at the time. Or maybe whatever face, which is kind of weird if you consider that the ages restart at some point. Um, but, you know, the women in Tarvalin have tried to find a way to use this power, but they can't touch it. Because it's the male half, and they're obviously females. Um, only a man can channel it, but it's been 3,000 years since the last male Aes Sedai. It's like, well, technically, any male could do it. They don't have to be Aes Sedai. Aes Sedai is a title for somebody who basically undergo training or some such testing of some sort. You know, it's 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 just a title. It's not like a man who can channel and a man who can channel that's an, a male Aes Sedai are different. That's just their level of experience is really all that the difference is, really. Um, but, you know... During the breaking, when this would have gone down, um, they noticed that, like, you know, guys, we're desperate. Like, this this is bad. Like, we're in trouble. But this is one of those weird, crazy things. Like, this, this is profound. So tune in for this one if you're tuning out everything else. So male and female Aes Sedai work together through the taint of the Dark One on Sidene to make this essence of Sidene. But not just make the essence, to make it pure essence. You know, no, uh, they, they didn't have any of the taint, they didn't have any of that nonsense. It's legitimately Sidene in its original form before the, the counterstroke by the Dark One um, caused the men to go mad. Now, here's the funny part. It was men and women together. And the histories kind of point of weird light. I believe we talked about it a little bit, but you'll have to remind me what we actually talked about because I don't remember. Um, but essentially, by doing this, it kills them. So there's a group of people who did it, and they knew they were going to die. But it was male Aes Sedai and female Aes Sedai. And... Everything in the Age of Legends was done that way with Sidene and Sidar. And they did some pretty sweet stuff then. Um, but now all the female Aes Sedai that are around historically after the breaking up till now combined could not fill a spoon with the power. Now, I think the emphasis is not necessarily the size of the spoon or whatever. I think it's the fact that a spoon is small. They're not trying to be like specific, like, oh, well, if it's a teaspoon or a big spoon or the spoon is irrelevant. Matt just chimes in, what kind of spoon? <laughs> Man, he just slaps him on the back of the head. <laughs> but, uh, this kind just pulls out a wooden spoon and knocks him out of the head. <laughs> this one. He's like, ow, rubbing that ginormous lump on the back of his head now. Because um, it's apparently an anime now. Just... I know, right? <laughs> gotta love them but it's like this this thing with like the spoon is not the issue the issue is that she's using a reference point to say you know not even 
not even this, like, this, this small spoon couldn't be filled. Which, she's basically insinuating it can't be done by just half. And we're not talking, like, they couldn't use the power. We're talking they couldn't turn the power into, like, the essence, the physical essence of it. It required both halves to make the physical essence. Now, the question I want to know, which I can't know because there's no evidence to tell us that anything is there to let us know, is why did they only make the male half? Why didn't they make a female half as well? Now, the safe assumption, I would assume, is that the male half was corrupted, the female half was not. Now, did we talk about... The whole, I believe they talked about Luce Theron and him, you know, having an argument with the women. Did we do that back then? Uh, do you remember that? No, no I didn't want to ask him. Well, I'm asking you because I obviously was talking to you when it happened. Um, no, I, I can't seem to remember anything like that. Because I remember when, wasn't there, I think there was a reference to uh, the men coming to the women and saying, hey, here's our plan, and the women going, you're crazy? Does that sound familiar? Vaguely. Okay. So I just want to make sure I'm not spoiling anything beyond what I just said. Um, so essentially, as a recap for anybody who doesn't remember it or whatever, and hopefully I'm not you know, ruining something here, but essentially the men went to, or wanted, had come up with a plan, specifically I believe it was Luce Theron's plan, to, you know, seal up the Dark One again, right? And they came to the women and said, hey, help us do this. We're in good shape. And the women were like, nah, fam, that's that's pretty, that's pretty risky. And you're like, wait, I thought we did everything together. <laughs> like, I thought the whole purpose of us doing all of this was to do it together. Like, that's like the whole point. Anytime we do things together, it's stronger. Now, it's funny because Moraine doesn't even realize what she just said. She's legitimately saying that they had to work together in order to even make this thing happen. So if you can if you can purify the actual essence of Sidene, then it is by default possible to prevent a counterstroke. Right? Like, I like. let's say you and a hundred of your friends are, like, showing up, and then a girl and a hundred of her friends show up, and you guys are like, hey, it's the Dark One, you know, get back in your hole, as Marcus would say in Gears of War. <laughs> but... I mean, uh, make a random reference, okay, whatever. Get back in your hole, as he curb stomps someone's face. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's just a funny joke, sorry. Some people might get it. Bonus points to you, those who get it. Um, but essentially, if you have this, even just 200. Now, keep in mind, there's thousands of Aes Sedai at that point. Thousands. But even if you only had 100 female and 100 male showing up and saying, we're putting you in your place to the Dark One, and you're like shoving back, but he's like, no, and he tries to like counterstroke. Just the fact that the the 200 of them are there would counter the counterstroke. Like, that's a big deal. <laughs> like, what you're saying is, Justin, that you're claiming that we wouldn't have the breaking of the world and men going insane if the women had just shown up, right? 
It's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's quite literally what Moraine's saying right here. Now, you could argue whether or not the hundred on each side would survive, but what they did would succeed. Which, it would have been better for the Aes Sedai as an entire community being all over the world, the thousands of them that there are, it would have been better for the 200 to die, prevent the the Dark One from escaping, and prevent Sayedin from being corrupted and tainted. That way you don't have a breaking of the world. You don't have people basically destroyed by either the Earth reforming itself or insane men crashing nature up against people or whatever and using utilizing their strength of the one power to destroying everything like all those lives lost would have just been gone now that's that's presuming that they would lose their lives in the process i think that they if they were working together they probably wouldn't because the reason they lost their lives is to cleanse something but they don't need to cleanse it they need to prevent it from being corrupted to begin with so that could potentially mean that they would have all survived. And again, we don't know if all of a hundred of them survived the initial encounter with the Dark One. Because remember, it was only a small entrance. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't the entirety of the Dark One just popping out of a cave. It was only a small fragment of, of an area that he's trying to get through called the Boar. And they're like... Hey, we're we're gonna go face off against basically the equivalent of the essence of the Dark One, like not even like the full Dark One, unfettered. We're we're only doing this with just a little portion of them, and they like thrust them back essentially, right? So mm. with both of them, and now keep in mind the comparison here, and it's a pretty big key comparison is that. All the Aes Sedai and all the courts and cities and all the lands beyond the waste, even counting those who may still live beyond the Arth Ocean, could not fill a spoon with the power without men. Now, I'm not saying that women are weak and they couldn't do it and men could do it. It's just saying that they both needed each other in order to even fill it. So if it was the flip way where the women went, shoved the Dark One back into the boar, Sidar got tainted, and the men were all that was left, and the women broke the world and everything... Men, all of them, in all the courts and cities, the lands beyond the wastes, even counting those who may still live beyond the Earth Ocean, could not fill a spoon. Like, what their gender is, is completely irrelevant. Like, absolutely 100% not relevant. The fact is, is, in order to do it at all, you need both halves. It's like trying to grab, you know, soup with a spoon that's only half there. Like, you're missing half the spoon you're going to have a problem. It's just not going to work. Um, so it's, it's that same concept here. It's just like, it doesn't matter who it was or whatever. It's just the fact is that they're stronger and better together. And we know for a fact that the women said, no, you're crazy. We're not helping you. And the men are like, well, we're going to do it anyway. So you probably should come anyway. No, we're going to stay here. They're like, all right, see ya. And they go do their thing. And then life as we know or not we know it as they knew it collapsed completely and i would i dare say millions if not billions of people died because of it so 
I kind of have to put a little bit of pressure on top of the female Aes Sedai since they thought they knew better, but even according to Moraine's own words here, that's not the case. And it makes me a little bit, I don't know, upset about it. <laughs> just be, just because of how it was handled. It could have been handled better, and it was handled poorly. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, so essentially, you know, Rand's like, why are you breaking us here? And, you know, Moraine's like, because you're a Taviran, and the Dark One's power will strike here, and it must be conf confronted and stopped, or the Shadow will cover the world. And there's no greater need than that. Let's go out into the sunshine, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I don't know if it was in this one. Yeah. in this one, when, right after loyal was talking about, uh, why did they do it and how Moraine's watching Rand, Matt and Perrin. Anybody want to take guesses as to why <laughs> you got any guesses? James. I don't know. Something bad's about to happen. Well, I mean, you're not wrong, but <laughs> tuck that one for later. Um, so, you know, they're like, hey, let's go out. So, Egwene and Nene follow her. Rand and his friends are like, scraping against the wall, staying as far away as possible, and, you know, running up like a little tangle of Matt Perrin and himself, just collapsing over each other. And he's like, he's like I would have run, but we would have ran over Egwene and Nene, Moraine, and Lan. <laughs> but he's like, he's like visibly shaking. And I'm sitting here like, okay, dude, you need to like calm down for one. <laughs> Um, and of course, Nynaeve's upset. She's like, I don't like this, Moraine. The danger here is as great as you say, or I would not be here, but this is, I have found you at last! You know, creepy, eerie voice. And he's like, what? That's just creepy, just coming out of nowhere. And, you know, Rand jerks, and like, he just got hung from a tree or something. And, you know, he hears this voice, and it kind of reminds him of Baalzaman. Which is never a good thing to hear a voice that reminds you of the Dark One, right? Um, then two hey, guys. Has told... Hey, has anyone ever told you you sound like the devil? You know, just saying. <laughs> Why, actually, yes. I do have a voice that sounds like the devil. I just don't use it very often, let alone on a podcast. Um, but thank you for the compliment. Um, so, uh, two guys walk out of the trees, and they're you know wearing their cloaks and they have their cowls up. So you, you can't really, um, you can't really see their face, but their cloaks are not the color of dried blood. So whew, dodge that bullet. It's not Balsamon. <laughs> one's dark gray, one's dark green, but it has this appearance or this essence of being musty, right? Like, like it's moth covered or whatever. And, they weren't fades because, you know, the breeze is hitting their cloaks and carrying it away with them. And Lan's like, hey, who are you guys? Uh, how did you get here? If you're looking for the green man, he's over there. And they're like waving him away like, eh, he brought us here. And, you know, it's it funny because he like points at Matt, this one specific person. It's an old, shriveled, scarcely human looking er, finger that's lacking a fingernail its knuckles are gnarled like pieces of rope with knots in them. Like that's a disturbing image, no matter how you look at it. And Matt like freaks out and 
he's pointing at Matt saying an old thing, an old friend, an old enemy, but he's not the one we seek. Now, the trick here is, who's he talking about? Is he talking about the green man? Or is he talking about Matt? <laughs> um, and it doesn't really tell us. But the other guy just stands there and like he's not saying anything. And Matt's just like freaking out, obviously. And he steps back. And then Moraine, you know, straightens to her full height. You know, no more than the shoulder of any man there. But she seems as tall as the hills. And, you know, she belches out really loudly. Who are you? And then the hands of these two individuals push back their whole their hoods. And you got basically these two guys. One is an old man that is older than old. That's the actual description. The old man was older than old. Yeah. <laughs> and he makes Sen Bui look like a child in the bloom of health. <laughs> so, I like that description. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And everyone knows Sen Bui is not a child in the bloom of health. Sen Bui is dark skin from years and years and years of being in the sun on people's roofs, putting them together because he's a Thatcher. You know, he does that. Um, but this guy, his the skin of his face is like a parchment drawn tight over a skull, which is not a very pleasant, <laughs> pleasant thought. And then you pull it even tighter than that. Um, so not very much skin. Um, very taut. He's got some little tufts of brittle hair and weird places around his sculpt. So he looks kind of like a zombie that got brought back to humanity. Um, basically, he's got like his ears are just little pieces of ancient leather looking like and his eyes are kind of sunk into the back of his skull. And, you know, they're like little itty bitty eyes sticking out of ends of tunnels and but the other guy is wearing this black leather carapace over his head and face completely. But the front of it's worked into a perfect face and the young man's face laughing wildly, laughing insanely frozen forever kind of thing. Like, you know, it, it's it's the picture of a face on the guy's face. It's the simplest way to do it. But terrifying. I know. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's the clown that has a, the face of a clown over it. You know. <laughs> But then I'm going to pick up this part. I am called Agenor, the old one said. And he is Balthamel. He no longer speaks with his tongue. The wheel grinds exceedingly fine over 3,000 years imprisoned. His sunken eyes slid to the arch. Balthamel leaned forward his mask's eyes on the white stone opening as if he wanted to go straight in. So long without, Agenor said softly. So long. Light protect, Loyal began, his face, or his voice shaking, and cut off abruptly when Agenor looked at him. The Forsaken, Matt said hoarsely, are bound in shale ghoul. We're bound. Agenor smiled. His yellowed teeth had the look of fangs. Some of us are bound no longer. The seals weaken, I said I. Like Ishamael, we walk the world again, and soon the rest of us will come. I was too close to this world in my captivity. I and Balthamel, too close to the grinding of the wheel. 
But soon the great Lord of the Dark will be free and give us new flesh, and the world will be ours once more. You will have no loose Theron Kinslayer this time, no Lord of the Morning to save you. We know the one we seek now, and there is no more need for the rest of you. And that's kind of terrifying, isn't it? Yes. It's <laughs> like, ah, this dude's really strong with the power, even though he's creepy old and nasty. But the other guy's just creepy in general, but, um, you know. Every arrow's creepy, just bad vibes all around. It's just... <laughs> It's like that weird feeling of like having a, spy, a spider like climb into the back of your shirt, down your spine, into your pants. Yeah. Okay, never had that before, but don't want that. And now you can imagine it. <laughs> I've never had it happen either, but I'm sure it's pretty terrifying from what I hear people say about it, especially when it's a poisonous spider. They dance really weird jigs when they do that. Anyway, so... I, I will neither confirm nor deny that I know people who do this. You, you are speaking way too much authority on this. <laughs> I am the authority on many things. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, you know, Lan, you know, whips out of his sword way too quickly. Like, Rand didn't even see it. Like, it just sits there. Um, but the warder hesitates. Like, Lan hesitates in fighting evil. And we know the reason why. Thanks, Nynaeve. Um, so basically, he's looking at Moraine and Nynaeve, and apparently they're standing way apart. And he's trying to decide which one to stand between. It's like your eyes to die, or the woman you like. I mean, to be fair, it is kind of a, a bad choice, but if he just charged the freaking person, then he would be closer to blocking for both of them. So it's a very odd choice for his part. But that heartbeat um, and that hesitation didn't last very long. But as soon as he starts moving forward, Agonor just like, boom, just flips him and just shoe fly. And Lan goes flying backwards and crashes into something. And, you know, well, that's something being a stone arch. <laughs> Hanging there for an instant before dropping into a as they call it, a flaccid heap. That's just... I love the description of flaccid heap. So inappropriate. Um, and it's well, sword... yeah, it's true. Just... <laughs> I know. I'm just... We'll talk about it later if you yeah. me. Um, his sword lies out with his, or near his outstretched hand. And of course, Nani flips out. No! And Moraine's like, be still! But, you know, Nani, not very good at listening to people, whips out her knife and just charges Agonor. And she's like, the light blinds you. And she strikes at Agonor's chest. You know, Agonor moves like a viper for an old dead guy. Um, and even though she still lands the blow, you know, Balthamel's, um, I shouldn't say Agonor moved like a viper. It's Balthamel moved like a viper. I apologize. Um, Balthamel, you know, darts out, seizes her chin, fingers seeking into one of the cheek while the thumb digs into the other, you know, typical view that people have shown in so many movies and stuff that it's hard not to imagine what that looks like. Um, but basically is squeezing, but something about him squeezing 
causes convulsions racking her head to toe and she drops her knife and her fingers just dangle there and Balthamo just lifts her up and you know he's just staring at her eyes and everything and you know her feet are a foot off the ground and all the flowers in her hair are just flying out and Aganor mentions that you know he's I've basically forgotten the pleasures of the flesh, but Balthamo remembers very much. <laughs> it's just like, okay, that's, that's yeah. disturbing, guys. And you can hear the collective groan of literally everyone who reads this. It's like, oh. <laughs> I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I didn't either. Um, but, I mean, the kind of guys they are, you can't really expect anything less. So, you know, the laughter of the mass seems to grow a little bit crazier and, you know, Nynaeve's wailing. And, of course... Rand hears the wail and it sounds like despair ripping from her living heart. I mean, that's not descriptive at all. Um, but then Egwene just like launches herself towards them. And, you know, Rand notices that she's going to help Nynaeve and he's like, no, but she doesn't stop. So he, he goes to his sword at Nynaeve's cry, but now he forgot about it and just throws himself at Egwene, thumps into her before she took her third step and they both fall to the ground. And then she immediately, you know, starts struggling to get out of his grasp to go help. And everybody else starts moving, too. Perrin has his axe whirling in his hands, and he's in fierce mode. Matt, of all people, surprisingly, screams out of, like, wisdom and whips out his dagger and just charges. And Rand's like, no, you can't fight the Forsaken. Well, no freaking dur, you don't you don't fight the Forsaken, but there's not many other choices. They can just stand there, let them incinerate you, or you attack them and they incinerate you. Which one are you gonna do? Um But they run past them and everything, and they're they're locked on Nynaeve because, you know, Em and Fielders stick together. Um but Agnor just glanced at them, just not caring, just smiles, and then, you know, the air above them cracks like a giant whip. And Matt and Perrin, not even halfway to Aganor, stops. They run into a wall and bounce back to just like lay on the ground, like "ow." And Aganor, being the jerk he is, is like, "Yeah, it's a good fitting place for you. If you learn to abase yourself properly in worship of us, I might let you live." Oh, okay. That sounds like a great place to be. So then Rand scrambles to his feet and he's like, "I can't fight the Forsaken. No, no normal person can." But he's like, I'm not going to let them believe that I'm going to grovel before you. So he tries to help Egwene up, but she slapped his hands away and gets really angry with him, brushing off the dress. I'm like, he probably just saved your life. And there's nothing you could really do at this point since you, A, cannot channel properly. B, you can't make a candle flicker or a ball of light stick around for a long period of time. How are you going to use some form of violence with the one power against the Forsaken? Who I might add are masters of the one power. Just, there are some serious times here where I just see why I just backhand the woman and just be like I mean, I wouldn't say backhand her, but I would say like shake her fiercely and be like, Hey, what is your problem? Like, Think. I'm, like like I, I get the, I get there's like an emotional response. Like I have to go help her. It's like Yeah, but you don't help her by literally going and getting the same thing done to yourself. Like that doesn't help anyone i guess you like a general aside um i do generally believe in that some people should just get punched in the face just to remind them that they can get hurt <laughs> look it's not look people these days just 
don't understand their limits. They, they they just live their happy little lives, saying their stupid little things, and sometimes they just need to, you know... Well, even if there be, are be limits... They reminded that they're human, so... I mean, even if there are limits, like, the only way to break a limit is to feel pain. So, like, somebody can go to the gym, lift a lot of weights, but if you're a small person, it hurts to gain that muscle to be able to lift more weights than you could at the moment in time that you started. Like it's one of those no pain, no gain kind of mentalities where it's like, it's going to hurt to get stronger because it's not easy. That's the whole point. So people who don't want to make the effort or whatever don't get stronger. That's why, you know, people like Lan who from birth have been training and fighting and doing all this stuff from childhood literally from the cradle are the kind of people that go out into the world and they're not concerned with anyone because no one outside of the extraordinary are going to be able to handle them. They know that. And everybody else who realizes that knows that. And that's the thing is like, they had to go through a lot to even get to that point. But in this case, you know, Matt and Perrin are trying to push themselves, you know, back up on their feet but i was like yeah you'll learn if you want to live but now that i have what i need or i found what i need and he looks at the stone archway i may take my time to teach you and this is a really cool part so i'm gonna read it because it's cool and that's what i do okay and commentate i do that too <laughs> this shall not be the green man strode out of the trees with a voice like lightning striking an ancient oak. You do not belong here. Aganor spared him a brief, contemptuous glance. Be gone. Your time is ended. All your kind, but you long since dust. Live what life is left to you and be glad you are beneath our notice. This is my place, the green man said. And you shall hurt no living thing here. Balthamel tossed Nynaeve aside like a rag. And like a crumpled rag she fell. Eyes staring. Limp as if all her bones had melted. One leather clad hand lifted and the green man roared as smoke rose from the vines that wove him. The wind in the trees echoed his pain. Agenor turned back to Rand and the others. As if the green man had been dealt with. But one long stride and massive leafy arms wrapped themselves around Balthamel, raising him high, crushing him against the chest of thick creepers. Black leather mask laughing into hazelnut eyes with dark with anger. Like serpents, Balthamel's arms writhed free, his gloved hands grasping the green man's head as though he would wrench it off. Flame shot up where those hands touched, vines withering, leaves falling. The green man bellowed as thick, dark smoke poured out between the vines of his body. On and on he roared, as if all of him were coming out of his mouth with the smoke that billowed between his lips. Suddenly, Balthamel jerked in the green man's grasp. The Forsaken's hands tried to push him away instead of clutching him. One glove hand flung wide, and a tiny creeper burst through the black leather. A fungus such as tree rings in the deep shadows of the forest ringed his arms, sprang from nowhere to full grown, swelling to cover the length of it. Balthamel thrashed, and a shoot of stinkweed ripped open 
his carapace. I believe this is like lichens or lichens. I don't know how to say that word. I think, it, I think it's lichens. Lichens dug in their roots and split tiny cracks across the leather of his face. Nettles broke the eyes of his mask. Death Death's head mushrooms tore open the mouth. The green man threw the forsaken down. Balthamel twisted and jerked as all the things that grew in the dark places, all the things with spores, all the things that loved the dank swelled and grew, tore cloth and leather and flesh. Was it flesh, seen in the brief moment of verdant rage? To tattered shreds and covered him until only a mound remained, indistinguishable from many in the shaded depths of the green forest, and the mound moved no more than they. With a groan like a limb breaking under great weight, the green man crashed to the ground. Half his head was charred black. Tendrils of smoke rose from him like gray creepers. Burned leaves fell from his arm as he painfully stretched out his blackened hand to gently cup an acorn. Talk about a battle of the legendaries. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least one of them was legendary. The other one kind of died pretty easily. But Balthamel kind of a jerk just a little bit green man kind not of a legend. really kind of a beast non non beast beast but the green man does not take kindly to people hurting other people in his area which i can understand considering when you're in the safety of your own home and your own yard and your own house you know and somebody walks in and tries to hurt a guest of yours or a family member or something, you're not going to just sit there and let them do it. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, he's like, I'm going to defend my, my home and I'm going to defend the people who I welcomed into my home. I welcomed you two in my home and you're causing this problem. So you're going to be gone. They're like, nah, we got this. And I, I don't understand how they even got there to begin with. If the, the term of need. Now, can need be evil or good? Yeah, technically, like an evil person could say, I need to find this power. But I thought that part of the thing was like, you can't have a mind full of glory and whatnot to get there. And that seems to be what's in their heads, just from what they're saying. So it's weird, and I'm not sure how to specifically explain away how they got here. But somehow they found it put it that way i think there's probably like a whole whole host of ways that you could explain how they got there but... yeah but you have to have a good explanation not just an explanation that's the problem well, you know it's, it's kind of up to you whether or not i mean you could say like you know it's, it's a worthy explanation for the, you the party was in the edges of the blight and then they were in the blight and then they were in the green man's area so these guys did the same exact thing and just happened to walk in at the same time it's just like Eh, that's not even a good explanation, in my opinion. And we don't really understand or know, because there's not really information given to us about how they got here, just that they they arrived and the green man guides them to the spot. That's it. Um, But with the fight between Balthamel and the green man, it sucks to see this happen to the green man, because the green man seems like a pretty awesome dude. <laughs> He's the kind of person you want to hang out and chit chat sing some songs and you know grow some plants very select plants just uh, you know well any any plant i mean 
Any, any good living plant. Never mind. <laughs> I, I know mm. what you're going with that, but no, not that plant. Well, he, why not? Because <laughs> he's not going to let you smoke it. <laughs> you never know. Yes, you do. Like, <laughs> the guy was just literally on fire and was smoking from his body. He's not a fan of that kind of thing. He's not a fan. Of, like, him and Loyal are not a fan of destruction. They're well, you know fan, they're okay with things that are already dead. But last time I checked, you don't you know wait for that particular plant to die and then smoke it. You do it while it's alive. Uh, you know, it's just everything in uh, appropriate amounts, including fire. I think you mean everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately for you, you don't have a moderation body of bone in your body. Body in your body. No, no, I don't. Yeah. Of course you don't. I expect too much from you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so it appears the green man, you know, is like just crashing down. So Earth is just going nuts as, you know, he's an oak seedling pushes up between his fingers. Basically, it looks like this is a cemetery for the green man, essentially. Um, it gives a description that's kind of sad um but also kind of cool because you know even in his death something grows life grows out of it um it makes you wonder why he couldn't do something like a transferal where you know i was damaged a drop down boom there's another tree and then boom it turns into a green man number two and he just has his consciousness transferred through the vines and whatnot and then now he's got a whole nother body and his old body turns into a mini forest or something like You'd expect something like that to happen, but the Green Man's like a form of a construct, so you're not really sure if that's how they work or not, because we're not told how Green Men, the Green Men, even comes to being, but we know there was more than one at one point. Um, but yeah, and basically an oak stands there 500 years, covers the spot where the Green Men had been, marking the tomb of a legend. And... Nynaeve's laying on some gnarled roots that they curve according to her shape like a bed. And so she's resting on that. And it's basically the wind kind of flows through the branches. It sounds like a sigh, but it's basically a, a farewell murmur. But everyone's just like absolutely floored, including Agenor. And he's like, enough. It's past time to end this. And Moraine's like, yeah, forsaken past time. <laughs> It's like, ah, cheesy lines. And then, you know, the Aes Sedai raises her hand and the ground falls away beneath Agonor's feet. Flames roar from a chasm and whipped to a frenzy by wind howling and from every direction, you know, it's big maelstrom of leaves going into the fire. It just it has this weird heat and red and yellow jelly going on of pure heat. But Agnor is standing in the middle of it, his feet supported only by air, and he looks startled, but then he, you know, smiles and takes a step forward. But, you know, it's a slow, slow step as the fire is trying to root him to the spot, but he takes another and another. Moraine's telling him to run, and her face is just drained of all blood because of the strain. And he's telling them all of them to run. We don't know if Land's conscious right now or not. Like, at this point, he's just kind of just there, crumpled in his flaccity. Um, and of course, you know, everyone's, 
everyone's moving. Matt and Perrin are dashing away. Uh, Loyal's carrying him into the trees, but you can see Egwene. She's there, you know, face pale, eyes closed. She's trying to throw her little untrained wielding of the power against the Forsaken, and it's just like, Egwene, you're better off learning the power than coming back and doing it than doing it now and not accomplishing anything. And, you know, he's Rand's yelling at her to run. And then Agnor, you know, turns towards him and towards the running Egwene behind him. And, you know, basically Agnor's ignoring Mor Moraine. And Rand's like, no, no, not her. The light burn you, not her. And he picks up a rock and throws it to get his attention. But it literally stern it, the stone turns into just dust before it even makes it halfway to the Forsaken's face. Um, but then he just like, you know, he's he's looking over his shoulder, seeing that Egwene's hidden by the trees, and all this stuff is going on around Agador, just the flames and everything, and little parts of his cloak are smoldering, but he just walks as if he has all the time in the world. I'm like, pyramid head anyone? Like, <laughs> the slow, daunting, I will get you anyway, one way or the other, so you're all going to die, whether you want to deal with it or not. But um, Rand turns and runs, but he hears Moraine begin to scream behind him. Like, what a, what a way to end a chapter. It's just this big, yeah. huge crisis. Two of the Forsaken, one taken down, another one overwhelming the entire party. And just, it, it seems like they're just going to get wiped away completely. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, good sir? This whole chapter? Yeah, while I went over this, I really wasn't sure, like, you know, what direction things were going to go in, and, uh, not great. <laughs> um, I did, I don't know, maybe I'll see it by sort of reading of things, but I kind of guess it that, um, the greed man wasn't a, like, a bound to stick around for that long. Well, the green man was here until the eye is served its purpose. That's what the green man's here for. Because I know, I not know, not like because it. it's it's related to him and his existence per se. No, no, I was I was okay. talking more about just in like a narrative sense, like you know that he like he he's kind of this guy that's he kind of been picked up and all that. But I kind of knew, yeah, he's he's probably not going to survive the book. Eh. At I mean, at least he that, could that, have that technically. Of, I know, but that was kind of just he like my soul. Like the Forsaken was just like just, just I, I don't even stuff. care about you. I didn't, I didn't, no, no, I didn't see them coming. They that, <laughs> they, they just came out of nowhere. Just... <laughs> Suddenly, pineapples. <laughs> Suddenly, a dead guy and a creepy guy. <laughs> a dead guy and what we imagine is a burn to the crisp guy, but yeah, it was a uh... yeah. It was quite a shock to, like, first have these guys come out of nowhere. And like I said, we have no idea where they came from. We don't know how they got there. I don't know. This could be a plot hole. I don't know. But... I don't think it's... I don't think it's so much of, a, like, a plot hole. I think it's, um... Well, I mean, having bad guys show up without any rhyme or reason or understanding of how they came to be there could well, be okay. considered a... Uh, could be considered a plot hole. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying it could yeah. be considered one. I know, again, I think we're sort of, um, I know, again, again, you, there, the, 
you could probably end up doing like the George Lucas thing if you just say like going back to explain certain concepts and like how certain characters did certain things here when they weren't on screen and just I don't know. Are you I, I, like I you, separate from the books a, or you mean read- later on in the books? No, no, just in like general, but like I, I think that hey, this is like a reasonable enough sort of like uh, bending of things. I mean, I can partially what? agree, but as far as I'm aware, there is no explanation for this. It just, it just happens. It's, I'm, well, it's I'm assumed ha- I'm that it, it makes sense, but it, I don't see anything that makes it actually make sense. Well, I, th- I, th- I think it's acceptable. But uh, moving on to the real meat of this, uh, lands flaccid heap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that after the podcast. I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, he had. I'm sorry, he had to know. Just <laughs> you don't use that sort of. Uh, well, I mean. Yeah, anyway, I think that Lan ended up doing what he thought was going to benefit Moraine and Nynaeve, but he had to know that this was just going to be poorly executed like if he's gonna do it at least do it from like throwing his water cloak disappear into the woods circle around and then while they're you know choking the life out of Miranda naive he sneaks behind cuts them down like that would at least accomplish something but like even if he had un like pulled out his sword and charged them without any hesitation he still wouldn't have gotten to them in time it's not like they're like they walked up to him and they're like five feet away and they're like Hey, who are you? And then they shake hands. And no, there are ways away, and he has to, like, approach them. And even if he dashes with superhuman speed, superhuman strength, he launches himself towards them, they can stop him at literally any point, because he has no way to counter that. He does it because he has to as a warder, but he doesn't have an actual definitive means to which to do that. But it was a little weird. Um, Matt and Perrin were more or less concerned with naive safety, which I understand. Egwene was also concerned yeah. with naive safety. I understand that. I think Rand honestly would have stopped both of his friends as well as Egwene, even naive per se, if he had the ability or the choice to do so. I just know that by stopping Egwene, he's also refusing to stop his other two friends because he is no longer able to stop his two friends. And he tried verbally stopping them with, like, no, you can't do it. They're the Forsaken. You can't fight the Forsaken. And, you know, that that ended well. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, I think it's not impossible for it to happen the way it happened. I just think it could have probably been less, you know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's like, it feels like there could be a feature of it that would have made more sense, but the characters holding to their personalities of being new people to the outside world don't really understand that, you know, this thing is dangerous, therefore don't rush it, and they're just, like, concerned with something else. It's like when you're... When you're really concerned with things like protecting someone you lose all reason in your brain just charge them so to that extent i think the characters were done pretty well but i also think when you have characters like lan who are like stopping and thinking in a split second like who do i stand between naive and more naive and agonor and balthamel or moraine and agonor and balthamel 
And like I was saying earlier is that if he had gotten within range, he would have ended up by default blocking for both. Like they would have had to completely be on completely different opposite ends. Like we're talking, if you had like a, a big cone, like if you take your fingers, stick them together like a steeple and then put your thumbs together, you got that little cone you make. If he rushes the front of that cone, the cone gets smaller by default because you get closer to where the cone can spray out. But if he stays further back, obviously it's going to be one or the other, so then you have to pick something. But even in this case, it didn't matter if he picked because he's going to get flung back anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, but we don't know if that would have, if him charging would have done anything at all. I mean, he could have just stood there and they probably would have done the same thing to him, but we don't know because it's not how it happened. Um Anything else about the chapter stand out to you? Uh, no, nothing much. I think we've covered here the vast, um, like the vast chunk of it. Okay. Uh, really don't know where things are going to go. So. <laughs> this way and that. Um, any predictions about this fight? Um. We're pretty close to the end of the book now. I, I don't think that it's going to end on like a necessarily like dour note. So I imagine. Um, you don't I think imagine the line on a, a dour note. No, no. I I mean like the sort of kind of natural flow of stories and thus I think that's probably going to be like some sort of revelation. Um, the Forsaken are going to get defeated, or um, it's only Akinorth. Who's left at the moment, right? Yeah, Agnor is the only one left. Balthamel's been yeah, taken care of. Yeah, I think Agnor is just going to going to like get beat back, and um, there, there, there's going to be like a sort of sort of feeling kind of like uh, you know the battle the battle is won, but you know now the war truly begins, sort of thing. It just which I know is sort of generic, but that's you know kind of how stories kind of run. Like, kind of stuff like this. I gotta say, when I first read this, even as a very young reader at the time, I was a little disappointed in Balthamel. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, one of the Forsaken, one of the legendary wheelers of the one power, and now he's dead. <laughs> Same chapter. <laughs> so I, I was a little underwhelmed by that, but it's like, well, yeah, at it, least hope the other kind, ones. Kind of funny. It's kind of funny when you like hit big bats just get taken out just instantly. It's like, ah, oh, you, know, you should be really scared of this guy. Oh, he's super scary, dead. <laughs> and he's dead. So, uh, anything other than, you know, Balthamel's untimely demise you want to chit chat about? I think we touched on everything. Alrighty. Well, then I guess I'll go ahead and wrap us up with a <laughs> shilling. But before we go to the shilling, I'd like to thank everybody for hanging out with us and, you know, listening to us ramble on about the wonderful uh, things to analyze in this series. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we'd love to have you guys come back and hang out with us for the next episode and all episodes, obviously, after that. Um, if you guys want to reach out to us either directly or even just posting on our comments on our social media or whatever, uh, you can directly message us at our Gmail, which is tales of road arm at gmail.com you can reach us at our twitter handle at tales of road arm um, or on our facebook page tales of road arm um, and we also have a discord page which is on our 
believe it's on our Facebook page. You can access that, or I, it may or may not be on the Twitter one. I don't remember. Twitter has very limiting factors on terms of what you can put in your bio because it's a very small thing. Um, but yeah, if you want to reach out to us in any of those ways, we'd be more than happy to talk with you. And if you have any questions that are relevant to the series, we can potentially put them into uh, an episode that's related to that or anything before that episode. Uh, any other questions we'll have to wait until we get to those areas because we're not going to ruin the series for people. But um, yeah, we, uh, we definitely appreciate you guys listening to us and everything. And we very grateful you guys hang out with us. And we, we do ask if you guys have the time or the effort to put in for sharing any of our content, whether it be a Twitter post or a Facebook, uh, a Facebook post as well um, with people, get them involved or invite them into the Discord or something. That would be fantastic. Um, but aside from that, uh, we'll see you guys the next chapter, chapter 51. So until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls we'll spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll awake to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Here! Yeah. 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 Yeah.